What is up, Gen X? Welcome back to the water cooler. You know, it has been some kind of week here as we wind down the wee moments of the summer. Uh, a lot going on, a lot of crazy stuff going on. It just, boy, ne- never seems to stop. Now, to start off, I, I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't start by acknowledging the commemoration of the 20 years of the September 11 attacks. Uh, it's hard to believe that that was 20 years ago. You know, that is something that is certainly etched in all of our minds. You know, all of us have our own personal memories of it, you know, where we were, what our feelings were when we heard it, and and all of the crazy aftermath that that came from. And I don't want to bore you uh, with with my tale and whatever emotions I felt because, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily relevant but the one, my one lasting memory that I, that uh, sticks with me is uh, where I was. You know, I was you know much like everybody else that, uh, or most of those who were who were murdered in in those attacks. I was at, at going to work. You know, I when I I pulled into the parking lot that day, and I I remember listening to sports talk radio, and they were talking about that day Michael Jordan was supposed to have a press conference announcing his third retirement. And I pulled into my my space at, at work, and I turned off my car, and I glanced at my clock, and it said 7:44, which was in Central Time, but that was the very moment that the first plane hit. And I went up and into work. I started, kind of went about my day, and then, of course, everything, uh, you know, the news uh, unfolds and and hits everybody. And whenever I I think back on it, I just remember how I, at the moment that it happened, I was doing what so many others were doing. You know, the, between the pilots and the flight attendants, you know, the bond traders and and hedge fund managers and. Uh, Police officers, firefighters, and you know janitors, and so many others who who died in that. They were at work, you know, just like I was. You know, they were regular regular people doing their regular jobs, and and they happened to get murdered because crazy people hated them. And that's was certainly my my one of my more salient points that or memories that of when I think back on on that. And I, I don't know that there's more I want to dwell on with that, except. You know, thinking about well, some of the greatness that, that came from it and, and the response to it. There's a lot of, a lot of ugly, but for a moment, brief moment in time, you know, we were united and and we were not going to let you know evil defeat us. We're not going to let you know people that hate us, you know, you know destroy us. And uh, for a brief moment, we were united. Um, but there are a lot of great men that came from it. You know. Just off the top of my head, I think about Todd Beamer on on United Flight 93, Pat Tillman giving up his NFL contract to enlist in the military, Uh, Chris Kyle becoming the most prolific uh, assassin in the history of the U.S. military, and Marcus Luttrell and his just miraculous uh, experience and being the lone survival of that ill-fated operation in, in the hills of Afghanistan. All those guys, they were Gen Xers. You know, they they didn't uh, hang their head. They didn't tremble in fear. You know, they ran towards the threats. You know, they they didn't cower. They didn't uh, look for safe space. They didn't look for some kind of trite, uh, vapid, inspirational quote. They just faced evil and and ran towards the danger. And I I I'm very proud to 
have them be fellow Gen Xers, and, and I, I think that's, you know, their courage um, is is very uh, emblematic of of much of, of Gen X. But there was one little, you know, small, ugly part that I, I saw in, in you know, many of the commemorations that were happening. There's a lot of nonsense, you know, people on Twitter trying to, you know, make this about Trump and wonder where he was, which I thought was just bizarre, but... Um, George W. Bush made a, an, an appearance and made a speech you know, at the commemoration, and um, he kind of descended into a little bit of the bizarre. And, and at one point in his speech, he compared the terrorist that day to domestic threats now here in the U.S. First of all, do we have to politicize everything? You know, do we have to castigate people? At all times, can't we just inspire? Can't we just commemorate? Can't we just honor people? Do we have to dredge through the sewer all the time? Well, you know, a lot of people do, and apparently George W. Bush is no better than them. And as he was talking, and as I was just kind of very confused, wondering where he was going with that point, you know, I I, I do think back and, and remember how at the time he had the opportunity to truly become one of the great American presidents in our country's history. He really did. He had this moment in time when the nation was reeling, and he, for a brief moment, was able to unite people. And, and this was coming off a very hot and content, contentious election, you know, just a, a number of months you know, before, just like now. And he, he rose up, and for a brief moment... United uh, helped unite the country and had the opportunity to become a, one of the great United States presidents in our in our history. Uh, except that uh, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. I mean, just to be brutally honest, he didn't. He he squandered his chance. You know, he he started you know, two wars without any salient uh, exit strategy. You know, and the one that just ended in spectacular fashion um, went on for 20 plus years, you know, longest war in, in the history of the country. And the country is much more divided when he left than when he came in and and he had a chance to become great and he didn't. So, you know, you can you can try to make all this about politics if you want, W. But please remember that you are much remembered much more as a failure than a success and what you did um, is much more of a cautionary tale than the opportunity for greatness that you had so you know you take that for what it's worth but one of the more profound lessons I think that we've learned coming out of that is the the dangers of sacrificing personal freedoms for security or sacrificing personal freedoms for the perception of security. And at the time, it seemed like it made all the sense in the world. You know, we wanted to gather all the information we needed to stop and prevent any kind of you know, future attacks and to be one step ahead of the terrorists rather than one step behind. And it, it seemed rational at the, at the time. But as is typical for the government, uh, when you respond like like we did in a moment of crisis, the result is more government, larger government, more money spent and squandered, 
And many years down the road, we realized that under the guise of our security, the government was you know, not only trying to, you know, to gather information on th foreign threats, but use that process to spy on its own citizens and to you know, tap our phone calls, spy on our email and whatever. Um, so you know, he can he can pat himself on the back for and, and try to call out what he sees as threats. But his his legacy is not a good one. And you know, and that lesson, I think, is one that's very important particularly in, in this past week, when the Biden administration rolls out their vaccine mandate. You know, they're proposing that for any you know, company with more than, I believe it's 100 people, that they mandate vaccines for their employees or at least sub subject them to or have them have their employees uh, submit to weekly testing. Oh, boy, you unpacking this so many problems. It's it's almost hard to think of uh, you know where to start. But I think one of the first one of the more important pieces to remember is that this is a power that Joe Biden or the President of the United States or the Chief Executive does not have. The Chief Executive is the Chief Executive over federal agencies. He's the Chief Executive. He is not chief executive over the daily lives of the American citizens. He's just not. He would be wise to remember that, but he's simply not. Those who are directly accountable to us as citizens are those in the legislature, those in the House of Representatives, those in the Senate. Those are the individuals who are accountable to us and who are responsible for us as individuals because they have regular local elections that would either keep them in power or vote them out. Whereas the chief executive is voted on by electors in every four years to run the government from an executive standpoint. He is not responsible for us as individuals. Regardless of that, even I'm one of my main hangups, and I have not seen any any arg counter argument this that would make me f think otherwise. Because the the one of the first objections to this is you know people wanting you know religious exemptions or or health exemptions. Now, first things first, the the religious exemption you know there is a certain validity to it. You know there are some religions that have gen genuine objections to vaccines and this one not not uh, by itself but others i get that but i also understand that the religious exemption is something that many people would very conveniently exploit you can say oh i i, I don't want to take it so i'm just going to go for a religious exemption when really there's no genuine religious exemption to be had so i don't want to spin my wheels on that one but what what is a uh, a big hang-up in my mind is those who have genuine health concerns that do not want to take the vaccine because of that. Because you know, there are some that have some rational or irrational fears. I don't want to even you know talk about that either. I just want to focus on those who have genuine medical conditions that between them and their doctors, they've decided it's unwise to take the vaccine 
um, at this point. Um, there was one reporter for a college football reporter from ESPN who's taking a leave of absence for a year because in consultation with her doctor, they decided it's best for her not to take it because she and her husband are trying for their second child. And in order to accomplish that, she and her doctor came to an agreement that it was best, if that's what they want to do, for for her to not take the vaccine at this time. Now, that's not your business. It's not my business. But it's a very valid concern that she has. It's a personal concern that she has. And that's between her and her doctor. No one, no president, no boss should be forcing her and twisting her arm to take the vaccine when she has a medical reason to not take the vaccine. Likewise, there are people with MS who recovered from cancer or have Guillain-Barre syndrome or any other number of of maladies that, you know, for one reason or another, between them and their doctor, told them not to take it. But yet somehow we're going to force them to take the vaccine or force them to resign from their job or force them to take unpaid time because of their medical concerns. I mean, how? And I want someone to explain to me, and that's what I've not heard. How is this not a direct violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I want to know. And you could be as sincere as you want about wanting people to get the vaccines, and you can be 100% correct that it's the right thing for everybody to do. However, (laughs) we are not a country that forces people to to make these personal decisions. We just aren't. And I, I just don't understand how... This is not a direct violation of the ADA. And, and that's not even to think of all the problematic steps that we've taken during the past 18 months that seem to have made this much, much worse. In fact, I saw this one article by Charles Rixey, I believe his name is, and he looked at some studies uh, regarding aerosol transmission and he came to the conclusion that it, it's, it is very likely that the time you spend in a room is far more important than the distance from others. And much of what we've done for the past 18 months has only made this worse. Think about the very beginning when we were told to shelter in place, stay home and save lives. That putting people in, even family members inside and with the air recirculating as would create a higher rate of transmission than going about our normal activities and you see similar spikes in the hot months in the summer in the cold months in the winter you see these spikes as the weather heats up and people scurry indoors in the comfort of air conditioning that transmission spikes you see in the cold months when people are going inside because it's freaking cold and transmission rates spike. It seems to be completely independent of everything that we've tried to do. All the sheltering in place made things worse. The masking did not stop it. The social distancing did not slow down transmission. 
at least according to the research that uh, Charles Rixey uh, was was uncovering, that seems to be the case, which I thought was very interesting in light of all the nonsense that we've gone through over the past year and a half or so. All right, next. One of the more troubling things that I saw over this past week was the newly evolving saga of General Mark Milley. Bob Woodward uh, of Woodward and Bernstein fame has written a new book, and as he is wont to do, he likes to to spill the tea on all things presidential. And apparently, he has discovered that General Mark Milley, one of the top-ranking uh, military officer in the country, twice in the waning days and weeks of the Trump administration, reached out to China based on his own Trump paranoia, his own Trump derangement syndrome, and warned them that should he, President Trump uh, be a threat to start a nuclear war with China, that he would, would prevent it and make sure that wouldn't happen. <sighs> yeah, that's what he did. <laughs> And then now this thing kind of goes back between the highly absurd and the extremely troubling. As far as the absurd goes, dude, you really thought that Donald Trump in in the response to his losing an election was going to somehow start a nuclear war with China? On what basis did you think that was going to happen? I mean, it's just bizarre to me. I mean, think about it. And I'm so tired of talking about Donald Trump. I don't want to talk about him anymore. I hope against all hope that he does not run again in 2024. I cannot take more. However, (laughs) you have to acknowledge that Donald Trump, in contrast to Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, keep going back, is the only president among those who did not start or escalate a major conflict overseas. And you think he was going to be the one to start a nuclear war? I mean, just a year ago, his administration was brokering peace deals between the Israelis and others in the Middle East. And somehow you think he's going to be the one to start a freaking nuclear war? Are you high? It's just bizarre. I mean, it's, it's laughable. It's like a bad movie script. Now, for the more serious, though, the fact that he's a sworn military officer reaching out to a regime that is hostile towards the United States and... and giving them assurances of cooperation. Explain to me how that's not the definition of treason. I don't know. And, you know, remember the stories that came out around mid-January where Nancy Pelosi was asking some top military leaders um, if, and, and asking their, giving them assurances that if they would get a, an order from President Trump that they didn't agree with, that they would not obey his command. And she was told that, no, no, that can't, we can't do that. That would be akin to a military coup. 
Well, apparently there was more teeth to that than we realized at the time. So here you have a sworn military officer that is going around to in a hostile regime and to others in the military and advising them to direct directly to disobey orders from their sworn in commander in chief. How is that not akin to a military coup where they are subverting his executive authority and on their military authority, ignoring his order? That is akin to a coup. And since January 6th, we've been just nauseated day in and day out of all this, 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 uh, Capital riot, capital uh, attack on our freedoms and this insurgency and attempted take over the government, blah, 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 blah. When you, the more time goes by, you realize it was just a bunch of people who were pissed off about the, the election, questioned its validity, were tired of not being heard, and rioted and acted the fool. And, of, of course, the being the idiots that they are, did not realize that doing what they did completely uh, resulted in the complete opposite of what they hoped. So rather than people hearing their concerns, they were completely rebuffed and the election was ratified. Regardless, we've we heard ad nauseum since January 6th about the insurgency. This kind of seems like an actual insurgency. As, as far as I can tell, it's just really bizarre. I'm sure there's going to be more to come of it. I'd be it, it almost distressed if Mark Milley remains in at his post for much longer. Uh, how you could have someone in that position who is willing to subvert the authority of the commander-in-chief, uh, that's just non-tenable. Um, but I don't know what it, what it seems like, especially if he's able to survive this, that what we're looking at in real time is the deep state. Yeah, I mean this is the these are the whispers that that we've heard for so long that you know that this is the shadow government, right? These are the those in power that are are you know going counter to what you know, even their sworn commander in chief is is ordering them to do so long as their cabal does not like it that they will go against it. Um, it, it seems like it. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to watch, but you know, corruption is abounding everywhere, and they flaunt it in our face. And you know, and we saw even recently at that weird Met Gala, we saw this with all these weird, pretentious, you know, these celebrities with these weird, pretentious outfits with messages on them. And what I don't, I'm completely bored by even talking about it. But the, you know, what got a lot of attention is AOC showed up in this tight white gown with uh, tax the rich on it <sighs> and again, ignoring putting aside the fact for now that she is a a walking clown um, the the fact that she's attending a member of congress who is not independently wealthy is attending this met gala which comes along with it a $30,000 per head cost to enter this event raises a lot of questions, a lot of ethical questions. And question number one, was she comped her ticket to attend this event? If so, that would be a direct ethics violation of gifts that a member of Congress can accept 
uh, and it, she would be subject to an ethics inquiry. Problem the second, if she purchased the ticket with campaign funds, that would also be a campaign finance violation subject to criminal charges. Now, just like Nancy Pelosi is unlikely to be removed from office in her attempted coup, AOC is unlikely to be removed for, for her missteps and instead will continue to be a darling of the left and a darling of, of, the, of the press. But it's just more reason why we can't trust these fools. Again, this seems to be the deep state where you can just flaunt laws, you can flaunt um, ethics uh, standards, ethical standards, you can flaunt all that and still remain your position where others have to be you know, forced to resign in disgrace because they tweeted something mean or ill-advised or insensitive a number of years ago. I mean, it, it's what a bizarre time we live in. And even as evidenced, it was discovered that um, four, four of the prisoners that Barack Obama, you know, President Hope and Change, exchanged for the release of Bo Bergdahl a number of years ago, I believe around 2012 or so. Well, those four are now in senior Taliban roles. You know, there aren't many things that I would trust less than like, say, you know, a, a weird, morbidly obese, agoraphobic brother-in-law. But this would certainly be one. <laughs> you know, I just, I wouldn't trust President Hope and Change for anything. I wouldn't press uh, tr- trust any any Democrat official who wants to release some uh, benighted person from Gitmo, um, because a lot of those that we that were released in, during the Obama administration directly participated in the Taliban takeover of, of Afghanistan. But have you heard much about it? Other than a little bit of dust up on Twitter, then it quickly went away. Again, it's feeling more and more like... This is the deep state. When people are untouchable in political positions, that becomes their career. It seems more and more likely that that's what we're looking at. All right, now last. Uh, The recall election for Governor Gavin Newsom in California uh, happened, and the dude survived. Uh, At least on the surface, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of widespread uh, corruption or or widespread uh, uh, shenanigans that went on in in that uh, election. It's possible there were, but it doesn't seem like there was. Um, But he survived the attempt. Uh, Larry Elder concedes the race. And... Much like voters here in Chicago, you know, voters in California, you, know, you get what you deserve. You know, if you keep that clown in office, what are you going to expect when you see human feces lying everywhere on sidewalks in San Francisco or when you see homeless encampments all throughout Los Angeles and an increase in crime rates of upwards of 40% in the black freaking plague returning in Los Angeles in those homeless encampments. Don't you dare be surprised when that happens. Don't be surprised when people flee that state because it's becoming such a 
leftist hellscape. I mean, just you can't be surprised. You know, much like in Chicago, you can't be surprised when you elect someone like Kim Fox and Lori Lightfoot, and crime spikes because they're not prosecuting violent crimes. They are uh, as as corrupt as they come. When you put them in power, don't be surprised with what you get. Likewise, when you vote against a presidential candidate rather than voting for a presidential candidate, don't you be surprised when that senile old president drops things like vaccine mandates and mask mandates and tries to control every aspect of your life. And and along with those mask mandates and vaccine mandates, exempts Congress, exempts his administration, exempts illegals coming over the border or refugees coming from Afghanistan. When Don't you be surprised when he exempts all of those from those edicts, but he wants to control what you put in your body. Do not be surprised because that's what happens when you put fools in power. And much like the voters in Chicago, in California, what we're seeing just develop in real time is what we get. You know, we deserve every little bit of it. And ultimately it's probably going to end up in the ruin of, of this entire country. But you know, we Gen Xers, I think, are going to be the least surprised out of all of it. We'll roll our eyes, we'll shrug our shoulders, and we'll say, yeah, 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 I saw that coming. That's how it goes, you know, because we tend to get screwed around every every corner. But, you know, such is life when uh, when you're born when we were. So hope uh didn't drag you down too much. Enjoy the rest of the waning days of your summer. And enjoy... Uh, everything that you're doing and you know, try to keep a chin up and and keep rolling your eyes and shrug at your shoulders and in the face of all of the nonsense and uh we'll, we'll get through this together until next time uh shout out to norm mcdonald turd ferguson uh, rest in peace you will be missed stay cool gen x